to What Is It About the Weather, the weekly podcast where we explore the many ways in which weather finds itself influencing our everyday lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek, and this week we're going to be talking about Does Weather Make You an Anxious Flyer? Now, before I get too deep in the episode, let me say if things sound a little different, if you hear a little background, I don't know, construction noise, or maybe even if the room dynamics make things sound in the microphone a little bit differently, just to let you know in advance, I'm, I'm recording in the mobile world, out on the road this week, and we'll get to that in a second. But before I do, let me say I hope you have had an enjoyable week since we last talked, and in some way, as always, there's been a piece of weather that's touched a piece of your life in an interesting and maybe a different sort of way than usual. Now, for me, our main topic really has a lot to do with what my kind of intertwined focus was this week if I take a look at weather and and the role it played. As I made that journey that many of you know I've made many times in the past from the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern Hemisphere, and it's interesting, you know, certainly I went from a warm, thankfully not too hot summer, to the cold environments of my South American winter that's going on right now, kind of cool days chilly nights, even some rain in the past couple of days. But, you know, what's always interesting and tricky for me is I'm someone who, you know, does look at weather maps and what's going on. And even to this day, I have to stop and think when I'm in the Southern Hemisphere, oh, that's right, everything turns backwards. Now, I'm not talking about the toilets, and yes, that's a myth. You can go read about that online. But cyclones or what we consider cyclones really do rotate in the opposite direction in the southern hemisphere and it's weird because you have to adjust to that when you're looking at a weather map and if i'm always used to something with the weather moving from let's say the the west and the north towards the south generally i know i'm i'm severely generalizing here at least where you know i normally am And that cyclone making that counterclockwise motion, I have to really adjust. I have to think, one, things are moving northward. So, you know, the way I tend to do it is I look when I'm in the mid-latitudes, I think of things moving towards the equators in, in terms of when I see certain things on a map. But I also have to remember that those cyclones are spinning in a clockwise direction. So it it does require you to think a little differently and and it could be a little I don't know, an adjustment period, I guess. Not everybody thinks about it that way because not everybody's looking at weather maps every day, but I do. So it, it throws me off for a bit, but usually I get over it. Now, one of the things you guys know I like to do is spend some time with a camera, in particular taking weather-related photos. And I always find trying to do photography in an airplane interesting. It's quite often very frustrating. You know, I, I, maybe last year, I think it was 2016, there's a great example of a pilot who was able, and I, I hope he was at a co-pilot or something, or a navigator seat at the point that it happened, did a great shot near Panama, the country of Panama, of, a, of this huge convective event that was going on. 
and but it was he was above it right and so we got these great shots of the storm the top of the storm and and lightning going on with the storm and it, it's just gorgeous i'll put a, a link in the show notes and i had earlier you know a couple of weeks earlier had a similar thing but my picture looked wimpy and not very impressive and part of the challenge always is we passengers have this extra complication of that plastic piece that's often between you and the actual window so our windows are a little different in in the back part of the cabin you you tend to have kind of a couple layers that can make it a little trickier particularly with with trying to get some sort of flat surface on a window and not get reflection and that's what I was dealing this time I, I had some what would have been great shots but because it was at times when lights were on in the cabin, you know, I was seeing as much my reflection in the, the interior piece of plastic, you know, over the window. And it just resulted in not very good shots. But I did get one, and I'm using it for the cover art for today's episode. So if you don't always check it out, do go check it out. And you can do that on the website. Or you can just look for the tweet. The tweet usually comes out a couple days later. You can catch it there. I'll probably put it up in my Google Photos. So again, you can get it any of those ways. I think I've already posted on Instagram. So one way or another, you can find it in one of those various places. But it was a great opportunity to show kind of a sunrise coming over the Andes. And I do like to catch those. But it was one of those very early. It's it's almost kind of sci-fi-esque because a couple of things going on. It was right as the sun was making that transition you can see a little bit of the andes but you get i'm pretty high at that stage so you know i'm catching the outlines but you're getting just that beginning bit of light you know, not even feeling like sunlight but just the the colors almost rainbow-esque if you will and the other piece of that though was i had the settings on the camera to to do lower light i didn't want to flood it with with that light and it where I was positioned in the plane, just catching the wingtip light, the backside, the little white light there. It's, I guess it's bigger than little on a big jumbo jet. But the way the camera caught it, it almost looks like a, a pulsar sort of star, and it has these three other star artifacts on it. It's just one of those things that's set up. Who would have thunk it? And you, because of the way what's captured in the picture... And because the rest of the sky was dark, there's actually a, I'm not sure if it was Jupiter or some other um, bright celestial object kind of in the far upper left corner that's real. But for the rest, for the most part, the rest of the sky was just dark. And so because the, the sky was dark, you don't really see the wing of the plane. It's just a neat effect. It, it came out, it was one of those photos that I could work really hard to try to recreate, never get there. Any case, spent a lot of time you know, thinking about that, doing that kind of stuff. But that's where my, my head's been this week, along, you know, with some class prep. Like I said, I'm going to be teaching new courses fall. been thinking about that. But, yeah, we'll cover that another time, certainly once I get into class. So let's jump into our main topic. I don't want to lose all my time today just babbling for no apparent reason whatsoever. And like I said, so here I was flying. And, you know, I'll preface this a little bit. I mean, I, I don't think I'm the only one. You know, does weather make you an anxious flyer? Here you are at 35,000 feet, I don't, however you want to look at it. 10 kilometers up roughly, six plus miles up, however you want to look at it. And the plane starts shaking a little bit. And it's bumpy. And at first it's kind of funny, maybe a little bit of your drink gets spilled or whatever. And it continues or it gets stronger. And after a while it can make you a little tense. Now, I flew a lot 
in the early part of my career. And that stuff never, ever bothered me. And I think there's a few aspects of it that, that maybe do now more than then. A couple of them had to do with some close calls on planes. And one of them actually was landing in Santiago here one time. Anybody that's ever landed here kind of knows you're kind of flying between two mountain ranges. Now, the Andes over to one side, to the east. You know, once you start to land, it's not like you can get over them. The coastal range, which is on the other side, isn't as high, but you kind of get in this corridor. And I had an episode where I was on a flight, and all of a sudden the plane, and this is a big plane, this isn't some small mobile plane, starts doing very strong banking to the left and to the right. And again, you're looking at this thing going... How are you doing this maneuver in between these mountains? And come to find out that there was, and this was very close to landing, that there was a plane on the runway that had not been able to move on the taxiway for some reason. And I don't remember if there was congestion on the taxiway or whatever it was. And so they had to slow the plane down. Well, you can't just, you know, kill all the air forward airspeed because that leads to other problems. So it was a very kind of traumatic event, and I've had a few others, and I think they've just made me more sensitive to this whole turbulence, the idea of turbulence. Also in that has been, I think, just the flying over open oceans and thinking, well, what if something did go wrong? What, what would happen? Because there's not anywhere you could easily get to or quickly get to. You know, it's not like flying over land and, you know, you hope that, and, and you know, the, the reality is, if, if something happens at 35,000 feet, your plane's going down, the chances of, of surviving, I guess, whether you're over land or, or sea are probably about the same. You know, but maybe if you're over land, you could get diverted to some airport and there's a chance. I don't know. It, it, yeah, it's one of those mental things you go through. But this is not an uncommon sensation. And like I said, I've, I've gone through periods where it didn't used to bother me at all. I've gone through periods where it bothered me more, and I'm, I'm kind of back in the it doesn't bother me as much. It makes it hard to sleep, I can tell you that much. So I don't like even you know, thinking about it from that standpoint. But it was interesting when I was doing the search on this topic that one of the first things that came up was a fear of flying kind of series. You know, somebody who, that's what they sell, right, is helping you learn to overcome your fear of flying. And they've done a couple of podcasts on the topic. And the reality is each year, Billions of people fly around the globe. Billions. It's over 3 billion a year now around the globe. And hundreds of people are hurt by turbulence. And this is not planes going down by turbulence either. This is just hurt in flight, right? Because the most part, at least with larger planes, turbulence is unlikely to ever cause you to have a crash. There's a lot of reasons you know, behind that idea. Now, this is what we call clear air turbulence. You're not in a storm or anything else. You're just going along and all of a sudden, you know, you get jolted. And, you know, we could talk for a long time about what's causing this and, you know, how air moves up and down. And, you know, we get this whole thing of air is really a fluid. But as you can imagine, it doesn't always move at the same rates. And, and you know, you, you can understand that. It's not, you know, overly complex. But turbulence is driven by those inconsistencies. You know, air's not always moving at the same speeds, up and down. 
get jolted by some. Heat of the day usually is a contributing factor, or the changes in temperature for that matter, heating, then cooling, etc. So those sort of things can happen. But that airplane that you're on, again, if it's a commercial airplane, has something that's called positive stability in, the, in which it always goes back to a normal state. And this is why, in, in the interviews of these fear of flying schools, you'll see they interview pilots, and pilots, you know, their goal, the reason to avoid turbulence and why so much effort is put around it, for the most part, is it does make people uncomfortable. And so the goal of changing levels, and you may hear a pilot say, we're trying a different altitude or whatever it is, is more for you than it is for the plane. Because I can remember a flight. I, I had this flight, I don't know, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, let's say. And it was on an old Lockheed plane that was still in flight at that time, an L-1011. And that plane, I could have sworn the flight that I was on. It felt, you know, if you looked out at the wings, it looked more like a pterodactyl, you know, some sort of flying, you know, I don't know. It really, it like, are you kidding me? Planes, wings shouldn't move like that. But the reality is these planes are built to handle these things. So, for the most part, when you're up there, your plane is never going to experience the thing those planes are built to really handle. The tricky part, and I think this is where people, there's a couple other things that I think come into play here. One is, I think part of the other reason it makes people unnerved a little bit is you're not in control. Right? If you drive a car, you know, yeah, you may be a passenger, but quite often you're driving it. But so many things in life, we're in control of that situation when we're being moved around. But you could say the same thing on being in a really fast car that you're not driving or a train that's going really fast around a turn or something. It may make you uncomfortable because you realize that in the heat of the moment, if something were going on, it wouldn't be your decision as to what happened about it. So I don't think it's just the jostling. The jostling can be annoying, but I don't think that's it. But I think the other thing that comes into play is this idea of how's this plane in the air anyways? Right? Here's this big, heavy, metal container with people and other stuff in it. How in the world did it get off the ground to begin with? And that's part of what can make it tricky, and especially for somebody like me who you know, studied this stuff. Sometimes that makes me less comfortable than more comfortable. But really, flight is all about, you know, it's described as lift. And this is driven by creating pressure differences above and below the wings. So what you're trying to do is lessen the pressure above the wing, which encourages this lift behavior. It's really that simple. And so, conceptually, you cannot imagine how close a plane is to never getting off the ground. You know, yes, we've come a long way. And yes, there's good reasons planes take off and fly, right? But we get into, and there have been episodes, there's some famous crashes that kind of identify weaknesses and weather can be one of those weaknesses. Now, the good news is for the most part, turbulence is not the problem. If it, especially clear air, what's called clear air turbulence. There are exceptions. 
if you're coming out of a mountain region or you're close to the ground, certainly turbulence could be a catastrophic kind of problem. But when you're just humming along at 35,000 feet again, turbulence is not likely going to be anything of a major impact to that airplane. So if turbulence isn't the issue, what other weather is really that critical? And again, you know, your mind, because of movies and everything else, your mind goes to lightning. And realistically, no. Most aircraft at some point in their tenure, I mean, granted, they're around a really long time, will get hit by lightning. But like many other things, like being in a car, the idea of the plane getting hit, unless it, you know, was a strategic hit in some way, the plane's designed to be able to handle that. So, you know, this turbulence and lightning, things that come up in movies are not the problem. Now, add to that mix, and we have, you know, as an example, so on this flight down, it's not uncommon. We fly through, and I think I may have mentioned this before, something called the ITZZ. And it's just an area where there's a lot of convective activity near the equator, kind of floats above and below, depending on the time of year. But it's also an area, you know, that we're reaching a time of year in the, in the northern hemisphere where hurricane season or tropical cyclone season is starting to kick in. And we get these, you know, I mentioned it before, these African easterly waves that are also around that same vicinity. They, they tend to be a little north of that. So there's a couple areas where when I'm making these north to south flights that I'm probably at more risk than a normal person headed east to west. Although a lot of times when I'm flying through that zone, there's nothing to worry about. But we had one this time. There was a, actually, you know, even this week, there's there's a, the first hurricane in the North Atlantic season was, I, I think today it went live as I'm recording this, which will, yeah, I think it did. I think, but, you know, Franklin is the name that you might have heard. Tropical Storm, you may have heard. Hurricane Now, whatever. But the part of the energy that would ultimately become that storm caused us to have to fly differently than we quite often fly when I'm making this trip. And this is not the first time I've had to do that. So I could look out the plane and see to my east this impressive disturbance. And those are the bigger things you have to worry about. There's a a famous Air France flight that went down Years ago, I want to say in the late, I want to say 2009. I might be off on that that year. And I know that I worked with somebody who swore they would never fly through this north to south thing because of that. And this is, a, this again, this gets in us meteorologists understanding a little bit about the dangers of what are going on in these events. Yet every day, planes cross from north to south. Every day, you know, planes fly over the world and don't fall out of the sky because of weather, even though active weather is going on. So we talked about it. Turbulence, not really the problem. Lightning, not really the problem. So what's the problem? Well, there's a couple things. One, and and this was a problem in that Air France flight, has to do with ice. And anytime you're flying through clouds for a long period of time at really high altitudes, there's really cold air up there, right? And sometimes that can be in a liquid form, even super cooled, and not actually be frozen. And that's where the danger comes about. Now, again, planes are designed to deal with that sort of thing. But in the case of the Air France flight, it 
brought about a combination of autopilot issues, human errors, all kind of cascading upon one another. But the challenge with ice, and this is both, you know, before you even take off or when you're in the air, is it changes the aerodynamics of the plane and makes it harder to, to get that whole lift component working properly. And that's where it can be a real problem. Without the right setup, it's interesting. You may have heard the word stall or you may have seen in a movie when the airplane goes stall, stall, and it, it screams it out in the cockpit. I've, I've heard it on a variety of, of things lately. But generally speaking, when you're talking stall, the engines don't stop working. It's about lift. And actually, this is generally brought about by angles and too much angle being involved. And I'm not going to get into all the aerodynamics, but just know that stall is not about the mechanical thing not working. It's about not being able to create that pressure differential sufficiently to keep that big old piece of metal aloft. And that's really what it boils down to. And by the time you can recover from it, the question will be is, can you recover the aircraft in time? What happened with that Air France flight was the answer was no. By the time they figured everything out and the right people got in the right seats to do the right things, it was too late. And this gets back to, I don't care whether it's a big boat or a big plane or everything else, these things don't turn on a dime. And recovering, you know, when situation is already at hand, you just may not have the time to do it. So that's one. The other thing is wind. And not so much wind itself, but changes. You, you've heard me talk about this again and again and again, and it's about anomalies. It's about shifts to the normal. So if you've got this big tailwind going on and blowing you, and it's blowing the plane consistently, great. You get to where you're going quicker. Airline uses less fuel. They're happy. But the challenge is, is when you see wind coming maybe from a different direction or all of a sudden it shifts, those are the challenges that tend to come into play. Thunderstorms certainly can drive that sort of problem. Turbulence, you tend not to get. You tend not to get that vertical motion as much in just clear air, and that's why you know clear air turbulence, like I said, is not generally the thing to be worried about. But the reason convective events become problematic is it, it becomes a combination of things, right? Yes, lightning could happen. Yes, precipitation could happen, and those have a chance of of causing problems. But this lack of visibility, the rotation potentially going on, even even if it's not tornadic or anything, but you know we've talked about a little bit about how these storms. It's not like just air moves up and down. Air can move at different angles, okay, relative to the speed. So we get these shear type scenarios that set up. But what it all means is they'll consistently, and that's that's where you start to get worrisome. It's not moving up or moving down consistently. Or all of a sudden there's a sudden burst or gust that's different than what had been going on. And it catches somebody off guard. But no matter how you slice it, generally when you're flying, once you reach a cruising altitude, you're going to be more likely okay because even if something does happen, there's time to recover from it. So... If you look at weather as a whole and say, okay, what, what part of flights, you know, accidents that happen are 
weather is either the cause or a contributing factor. Now, it, it depends on which studies you look at and everything else, but roughly, roughly 15 to 20% of the time. Now, that's not nothing, right? Now, the good news is, and I don't want to scare everybody to death here, on average, you know, we, the amount of people fatalities in, in plane crashes continues to diminish. It was at its peak, I, I want to say, in the early 70s. And now it's down to something on the order of one death per 10 million plus. I mean, it's like 11 or 12 million now. Now, that can be hard to equate to other things. I mean, car deaths are different because they tend to do it in miles-driven and, and that sort of thing. But just know that it's it's a fairly very low number. Now, doesn't mean it's zero. So that's, you know, I don't want to try to sugarcoat it either. And weather can contribute. Like I said, somewhere to 15 to 20%, depending on the types of planes and other things that you look at. But again, cruising altitude is usually not where the problem is. It's more likely to be when you're close to the ground. So either in landing or takeoff. And the interesting thing about it is, and this gets back to the kind of the fear of flying, is do you have more fear when you're way up in the air or when you're way or when you're close to the ground? Because I've always kind of looked at it and go, oh, we're almost to the ground. It'll, it'll be okay. But that's probably not the way to think about it if you want to properly rate your fears. Because what really happens is these same things, in particular this wind, and, and you know they've redesigned airplanes because of wind shear, right? Could literally flip a plane as it's landing. And if you've ever looked at planes when they come in, they don't always come in straight. And, and again, this has to do with the setup of winds, etc. Now, if, if I've got a pilot out there who wants to correct me, certainly I'm oversimplifying things, and I know that. But if, if somebody has better thoughts of a way to convey this, don't hesitate to write in and let me know. But that same thing, I mean, you could have a sudden downburst of wind or a gust that blows a part of the plane into a position that's not appropriate for putting that plane on the ground or something that happens in takeoff. So just keep in mind if if you know you want to rate your fear factors, don't don't be worried when you're up at thirty five thousand feet due to weather. It's not the time to be worried, generally speaking. But ice and wind are much bigger issues, much bigger issues than clear air turbulence or lightning or the things you think about when you hear about movies going on. You know, you've seen it in the movies. It's more likely simple things, little pieces of ice that lead into ice sheets forming on planes and the de-icing not working properly or it being in a type of plane that doesn't have a de-icing system built in. Or in contrast, and more likely, it's winds behaving in a way that is either too strong or not behaving consistently, being anomalous, any case, deaths per year airplanes, very low. Even a lower percentage of that's due to, to weather. So get up in the plane. Don't worry about it too much. And just realize that all that bumping is is just a little bit of bumping. Don't let it get to your brain and somehow turn you into 
create something in your mind that it doesn't really need to create. And, you know, maybe take a look at this fear of flying stuff. I, he recorded a couple of, of, like I said, a couple of podcasts with pilots where he actually interviewed them and talked to them. So take a listen. Might be interesting. All right. I can't not talk about planes and not get into contrails and chemtrails. Now, breathe a little heavy there. Chemtrails are what is proposed that governments are doing to change something, either their population or whatever. I don't subscribe to that theory. I understand where it comes from. Like I said, I, I'm all for a conspiracy theory, but I'm not going to talk about that component today. We are going to talk about contrails. And contrails, a, best, a good way to think about it is just a plane creating a cloud. And there have been opportunities, in some cases, to study that and try to understand. I mean, you are. You're creating clouds, and it does change the atmosphere and how it interacts with radiation coming to the Earth. So you remember we did an episode a while back about Wi-Fi and whether weather was impacting your Wi-Fi or whether your Wi-Fi might be impacting weather? And same thing here. So the question is, is, is the weather impacting the plane or is the plane impacting the weather that's a real thing so weather does have this relationship and we may come back to it sometime in the future i wanted to kind of touch about this sort of you know anxious flyer element today but speaking of future episodes i heard from jack longtime listener and a frequent contributor of thoughts and ideas and i appreciate that jack and he suggested he made this comment about me running out of topics and the good news, Jack, is I'm not about to run out of topics. I may not always cover topics that everybody wants to hear about, but I'm, I'm not short on topics. Although, although, you know, there, there are drier spells where things either I'm not hearing from people or things are not coming to my mind. And, and something he brought up, though, was, you know, we do this, this bit of history, right? It would pick a history event. And I'm hoping to find a good, I still haven't found a good South American case of weather changing history. And he suggested just, Significant weather events, you know, and talking about them from a historic standpoint. And I, I kind of threw back at him that, you know, I may do that, as we talked about during July, about some new formats, maybe at times doing shorter segments. And I may do it as one of those segments. I don't know that I do, I'll do full episodes about it. But let me know. Let me know what you think. You know, reach out. What is it about the weather? Gmail.com or what is about the weather.com slash contact. And let me know what you think. You know, would that be a good idea? Something you would like to hear more of those types of things. I know I always get good responses on the episodes that are about weather-changing history. So if you want to throw some thoughts or ideas about that or any thoughts and ideas, just let me know. But with that, I think we'll take this time to wrap up. And you know the drill. RSVP, rate, share, validate, and pledge. You can find out more about doing that it was it what is it about the weather.com slash support but until next time until next time you know what we say right take the time to stop enjoy and think about the ways in which weather is intertwined in your life and look for an interesting tidbit this week just one walk away going hmm i didn't know that 
Because as we all know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. This is too much to production. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com slash weather.